Dente Rigamortis. I'm Review Cultist, and we have some guests. So this is the time for me to work on an announcer voice. So, uh, <laughs> hello, I'm Adam from the Role Point Exchange, uh, making my second appearance on the podcast. Great to be here. And I'm Travis. You all should know me from the various stuff I do. Uh, I don't know what what appearance number I'm at now. Um, I'm basically a freelancer for any anybody in the RPPR realm our tabletop realm that's interested in me running things or talking about media. I'm also a PhD student, so prepare for some overanalyzation. Yeah. Yeah. Help it. Uh, to, to quote somebody else, uh, you are a podcast mercenary. <laughs> I you put that on my resume. ID. That sounds amazing. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, no, always glad to have you guys. You guys are honorary guest hosts to El Dente, so... Awesome. I like the honorific. Mm-hmm. Um, and so what has brought us... Oh, and uh, yeah, we're here to discuss those creep pastas, or those, those stories most creepy and most pasta, and be critically silly doing it. Yada, 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 yada. <laughs> uh, as you guys may have guessed, whoever's listening to this, this is not your dad. This ain't your dad's El Dente Rigamortis. <laughs> uh, we, we have some hosts, so we're doing a special thing. Um, I've been talking with Adam and... Uh, Travis, regarding uh, creepypastas from our home states slash provinces. Mm-hmm. Um, just, and we've decided to do like kind of a, a series of ones where we choose a, sto- a creepypasta from one of the states or provinces we're from, and we'll discuss it on an episode. Yeah, so. And this one in particular, I, th- I believe that I found it, and I was like, ooh, Kentucky, and I <laughs> threw it your way. Yeah, I'm also pretty sure this is the progenitor of that idea. <laughs> Just a because, honestly, like, yeah, mine, yeah. mine, mine is interesting for how the creepy pot isn't nearly as creepy as the actual real life location as it, it's set in. Yeah, and then mine's probably just going to be one about Algonquin Park in Ontario. <laughs> um, but yeah, uh, like this one, um, like, because you sent me not just this one, but like another one set in like Slade, Kentucky. Yeah. And we we've been talking uh, off off and on about like other like doing game scenarios slash creepy pastas in Kentucky and stuff like that. And then like again, we're doing so yeah. We decided to do start off this whole thing with the strange case of Edmondson, Kentucky. Um, so I guess we'll just dive into this one. Uh, it's by Joe Terrell on creepypasta.com, uh, and is kind of like a. Uh, like an essay or article style format of narrative where we get information about how this town, Edmondson, Kentucky went missing in 1962. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Overnight people, the people just vanished um, and all the animals. Well, most of the animals we'll get into yeah. that. Um, and what happened was like, basically a farmer went to go check out, like went to go in, into town um, found that the town was completely deserted, uh, went to the next town over, Clement, and got the cops basically involved, and they went in and searched the entire town and couldn't 
find any trace of where they anybody had gone outside of a few very eerie and creepy uh, hints and clues that didn't really amount to anything until like decades later. Um, after an uh, extensive FBI inspe- uh, investigation um, and the town basically got shoved under the rug, like the mystery um, in the wake of larger scale mysteries and crises in America. Mm-hmm. Um, and it kind of remained relatively obscure, like Atlas Obscura levels of like urban legend and just local legend in Kentucky until the eighties when a couple were backpacking into the, uh, the, the ghost town, um, heavily full, like heavily foraged or forested and, uh, basically off the map. And they discovered in the remaining church that was there, a bunker or a, uh, not bunker, a, um, uh, a door to down into a uh, cavern system. Um, and it's in this cave system that the one uh, the one backpacker uh, went through a tunnel system and found like a a blocked off area, but they heard music and they found some human artifacts um, like glasses and shoes uh, on their side of the tunnel that it caved in. So then they decided to take that to the uh, what was it called Mammoth Caves National Park and yep. the. Then there was a little bit more of investigation going on regarding, um, like, again, kind of opened up the case again, but nothing really amounted to anything because the cave-in was, like, 100 feet thick, and no one could have, like, without extensive explo- like explosives, they couldn't really breach that, cl- that cave-in, and no one's been able to find the other side of that uh, cave system uh, in the Mammoth uh, Caves, because Mammoth Caves are just so expansive, and there's, like, tons of recesses of there that we still haven't discovered. Uh, and then we cut to the 90s, or the late 90s, uh, early 2000s, uh, where um, we get the story of... Uh, was his name Dennis Mills? or Dennis Miller. Dennis Miller, yeah. Uh, and when he was seven, uh, him and his, family, his parents were camping uh, three miles north of Edmondson's... Uh, location and his parents went missing and left him in a tent and to fend for himself for uh for two days before he was found by campers and this brought on an obsession of his um that lasted until like the modern until the present time where he has set up a historical society for edmondson in his search to find the truth behind what who uh what happened to his parents who took his parents because he believes that the uh the town uh, went underground, fearing the uh, nuclear, uh, the the Cuban Missile Crisis, yeah. and some of the g- generations have passed in where they survived underground, and now they come up from the cave systems uh, around Edmondson and f- uh, hunt people and like take them back down for either food or gene pool uh, resources. Yeah. Um, and so he goes out there every so often and will like hunt down or like look around for clues or like or entryways into these tunnels and like to try and track them. But he never stays out beyond uh, light because or beyond when the sun starts dipping down because uh, just of the risk. Yeah, and it's like these people have been, well, obviously, with they've adapted to a nocturnal kind of lifestyle. Yeah, um, and that's that's basically the gist of the story. Um, 
that's actually where it ends is basically the, uh, uh, the Mr. Miller just like saying like, I don't go into those woods after dark, not, not ever again. <laughs> and I, I think, I think the really cool thing, and I'd like to kind of start this conversation off with, um, you know, if, like we back in the, you know, in the history of literature, like when you get around romantic period, now I'm starting way back and I'm going to work my way up here. Now, Thousands but, of years ago. Sorry. <laughs> back in the day. But, uh, you know, when you have Dracula, when you have uh, uh, Frankenstein and stuff like that, and even in a lot of the other literature and artwork and stuff like that, there's this emphasis on returning to nature, but there's always like this kind of sinister like element to it. And that's definitely what this is hitting on. Uh, Mammoth cave is basically, I think they think 600 miles worth of cave system, which I've actually been to a uh, mammoth cave before. Mm-hmm. And I mean, it's all inspiring and stuff like that, but like your deep underground, as you go through it, there's like really like uh, different levels of tours that you could take through there. There's one where you can just walk around and that's great. And then there's one that like, there's no way in fucking hell you could get me to do it. And it's like, you you're crawling between crevasses and, you know, stuff like that. And I'm not going to do that kind of crazy stuff, but yeah, there's this real like isolation, like you're away from everything else kind of, you know, fear that this plays on this town itself is, isolated it to begin with i mean the farmer who finds it lived um you know 14 miles i believe 14 miles but this is with uh it's a rural setting and i don't even think that like the roads had really opened up through the region up until you know later on and stuff like that so it would be like windy country roads and stuff like that like interstate or like highway or anything like that so i mean they're, they're deeply separated i I'm trying to think of any other big bullet points. Um, <coughs> excuse me. You well, that, I mean, that out. it definitely plays on, um, like, because the Mammoth Cave stuff, it does, definitely plays on, like, claustrophobia. <laughs> or, like, kind of in the same vein as, like, Ted the Caver. <laughs> uh, yeah. Bust about, like, caving. Um, just, like, how, like, small and tight those recesses were. <laughs> yeah. And, hmm. I thought I had a great idea and it just died on me. I apologize. Oh, no. <laughs> well, but, I'll pick up what you're putting down because I'm okay. actually uh, what, you, what you're describing is actually what I was going to bring into is the idea that um, I've talked about this before. If you've heard me do the spiel before, you're allowed to pause it for the next few seconds. Internet or mute me. Um, essentially, horror is a great snapshot of the culture of the time, especially in the United States, because horror is almost a better snapshot of what America is thinking as a culture than what it presents to the world and so creepypastas are actually really interesting for that because where you have to get an iconic film like friday the 13th or insidious or the exorcist creepypastas allow for like almost rapid snapshots of where the world is sitting what you were talking about of the idea of this is a kind of a romantic story of return to the nature but at the same time sinister falls in line with the idea that if this guy is born in the 80s He's a person that's t- starting to do some writing about the new romantics. Um, Boy George, all them. New romantics is an actual philosophical aesthetic that arose during the late 19th, early 20th century, and then kind of continued in the 80s with the music. Yeah. 
So that might have been a thing that has inspired him. And also, this, this, this entire piece is a snapshot of a lot of the fears of the 2016 um, and modern, really modern America in this very interesting diegetic piece. Um, also created from a bunch of pieces of previous horror media, maybe through inspiration, maybe just through background noise that filtered out through the, uh, through the keyboard to the final product to make this piece that we're reading here. Yeah, because there are a lot of uh, there's a lot of um, inklings of, of of pop culture reference things like probably not even direct like or like intentional but like unintentional uh, like reference points as I was reading it anyway um, of like movies and stories that I've I've come across in my viewing of like horror. <laughs> yeah, and it, it's not an outright copy. It's one of those that these things showed up. And are in the cultural psyche and zeitgeist, and that it's kind of filtered through and become our lexicon. So you can't really say he's stealing anything as much as he's drawing from the inspirations of mass media and slowly stitching them together into new work, synthesizing it. Like, for yeah. instance, yeah. at the very beginning, when they're talking about the disappearance, it reads very similar to the idea of Dean Koontz's Phantoms. More, more specifically drawn towards the book, which was published in 1983, than the film of this town. Things go wrong. There's a Lovecraftian inspiration baked into it. Um, and at a certain point, everything has disappeared. It looks like people have literally just disappeared at dinner. And then you go on, you have the idea that, you know, it, it mentions that there is an investigation and it kind of swept under the rug due to the cultural climate of the crisis, uh, the nuclear crisis and John F. Kennedy, which is very much harkens back to our distrust of yeah. the government around that time. And then finally it ends with this personal obsession of like, no, these people that disappeared are actually still here, are still affecting it. And it, from my experiences, reads like somebody realizing the rise of the religious right or some type of that, that insidious nature that something happened to the church to change it into something not entirely wholesome that is now affecting the outer world in a way that is very scary but without having a tangible identity or maybe not even real yeah especially mm -hmm. in that era of 2016 what the war and i noticed this kind of picking up and i've started highlighting everything through the beginning of this all the way down so we we started in 61, 62 runner with, uh, you know, Cuban War, like Red Scare, pretty much. And mm -hmm. then it, you also find out about the history of the town. Uh, the, it's Edmondson is, uh, is the name of the county as well as the town. And Edmondson was actually founded in the wake of uh, Battle of 1812 after a uh, general that that died during the war. So it's yeah. like it's it's kind of interesting that like even the birth of this place was violent and you know war and fear and so forth. And then it's undoing in the sixties. Uh, you know, over a hundred years later, is still like war. Like the, the descendants of that town, which was like. 263 or something like that and it mentioned in the story they you know they're all descendants of the people who were in that region who fought in the war of 1812 and i don't know it's it's kind of like a sense of the father thing but like i think heredity 
really plays a huge part in this kind of story, you know, starting from there. And then you get this, you know, as time goes on and you get to the eighties and then all the really creepy stuff starts happening, you start getting this Lovecraftian, which uh, actually Lovecraft set a story in Mammoth Cave, like yep. one of his first stories. It's uh, shit. I, I want to say it's the thing in the cave or the thing, the thing in the cave, but I'm really like, that's his first one, but this really seems almost like lurking fear. Yes. The Martens kin under yeah. like the subhuman, um, like, or the degenerate humans that live underground. Yeah. 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 So, you know, the product of this war and then the product of them going underground have like really created this degenerate, uh, sect of predators or you know whatnot so it's just kind of it that's really cool like the way that you're actually are hitting on a good point that i didn't even pick up till you were saying it is like if you look at the history of this place it's already pretty incestuous because like when it disappeared everyone's like well everyone in the town knows each other because they're from the same stock yeah the original founder and it's almost as if this is just the event creates a funnel that down now that they really you know it, it gets more and more incestuous till we get the things in the cave situation, and then the it, it, the implication at the end that they're hunting people for genetic material or food is like after a certain point they you know they, they they are still trying to keep their incestuous nature and not change with the outside world out of fear for some reason, and just that that baked in evil of the incest is is still playing a key part to makes this thing kind of creepy. Yeah, yeah, like it's yeah. Also, it was the Beast in the Cave by Lovecraft. Beast in the um, Cave, okay. but um, yeah, the um, it's almost got like a Morlocks or like um, kind of the 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 the, the cliche or trope uh in Amer- in like horror Americana of like the redneck or like the uh or like the the degenerate like hill folk kind of thing too. Yeah. Um. Like like you were saying earlier, it's yeah, like yeah, this town is basically born, died, or like. Born, killed, and reborn of violence. Um, like it was born of like the like I said of the uh, the founders are all like from or like took inspiration from like the Civil War uh, that the or not the Civil War the eighteen twelve uh, general. Um, they fled de- they fled out and basically killed their town because of the panic of of, of nuclear annihilation and war, and then now they are violent predatory hunters essentially from underground. Yeah. And, um, you know, this is, you know, from a, being a Kentucky native and, you know, as Kentucky is depicted in most, well, I wouldn't say most, but, you know, it's say like more often than not, like when you're depicting uh, this region and like you got the deliverance, which, you know, you've got the incestuous deranged hillbillies. Yeah. Even, even in genres that are not. Horror, like I can think of the same. Uh, oh God, who was the Taken guy's name? Uh, oh, uh, the, oh, Liam Neeson. Liam Neeson and uh, Patrick Swayze. There was a movie in the uh, late '80s called Next of Kin, which is you know about like people from Eastern Kentucky like taking on the mob because of uh, you know like a blood oath kind of thing like that. Mm-hmm. Like the, even in those kind of depictions, there's like this cartoonized kind of you know, men in the mountains that are handling snakes and, uh, you know, even when they're the, they're the good guys, they're the, you know, less desirable ones kind of stuff like that. And, 
you know, and all that stuff tends to be separate, like Eastern, like the mountainous region and Western Kentucky really isn't, you know, like that, even though there's a huge cave systems and stuff like that, it's not like, you know, the deep part of Appalachia over there. And, you know, I felt like that was a unique kind of divorce from like you're you're taking this stereotype and just moving it over to the other side of the state, which is something I haven't really noticed much of, if that makes sense. Yeah. And it was I felt it was tasteful. I mean, I I, I can get over the uh trope. It's um uh, you know, it's promoting the myth yeah. of uh, of like the Appalachia being horrifying yeah. and like the Yeah, like Yeah. And it, even when, like, I don't know if Travis, have you ever been to, like, Gatlinburg, Tennessee, Travis? Yes. Okay, so they actually have, and it's just kind of give you this idea, this myth. Like, there is a, uh, like, dinner theater thing. There's, like, several different little dinner theaters. Uh, Gatlinburg is a just big tourist trap of just shops, outlet malls, and just moonshine distilleries and you can watch people make saltwater taffy and a landlocked state kind of weird things like that but there's like this hatfield and mccoy like dinner theater where these actors will sit there and dress up like crazy ass hillbillies and you know do some comical little feud for your dinner for your amusement and stuff like that which seems you know exploitative i guess you can say and it is exploitative. Yeah. Like, yeah. part of a friend of mine is at Necronomicon right now, um, but her, their work actually deals with trying to deal with and repair the image of the Appalachians that has developed in the cultural identity. Like, the dumb hick hillbillies, the guys of the mountain, like, or the dumb coal miners, the people that are too stubborn to refuse to move forward. Like, this is a thing that has been baked into the cultural idea. Um, not because it's not untrue, but also but because at a certain point, you know, these are self-sufficient individuals that live there, that live hard lives. And they, at one point, this might be true. But at another point, like, it's what's necessary to survive. And what she, what they do, excuse me, is try to recontextualize these myths and these, these, these works and recontextualize them into modern works to show that there is actually a lot more complexity to these situations. Specifically, she uses science fiction to do this, to showcase, like, the actual issues. Like, oh, all these people work in a coal mine. Well, the coal mine owns the county owns half the state. This is the only way to get money. I have to work here. And if I leave, well, I have to deal with family, friends, and what that have lived off this for forever, the company going after me, and having to find something else, and like showing the actual complexities of the situation that are grossly painted over and wholeheartedly ignored. Stories of the Appalachians. Yeah. Yeah. Which I think this actually would be a good segue over to something I wanted to discuss with the story. So we have this isolationist kind of set up in the very get-go, just geographically. And, you know, everyone disappears and so forth. And did you uh, – one of the big things in 
Kentucky, and this is true. Like it's a, a very, to my chagrin, it's a, a very conservative state. It's like we, as Kentuckians, tend to, uh, I mean, to be quite frank, we would th- we will literally throw the baby out with the bathwater for you know the these values that we take into like we like, such as uh, you know. Like, religion and like abortions a really big like thing here and um the religion in general and conservative values and stuff like that and you have in this town you have these uh i think there's there, there mentions there was a baptist church and there was a methodist church yeah and uh apparently despite being of two different creeds everybody was kind of on the same page when the inciting incident which we will get to, but uh, as they were exploring the town, there was a Bible verse. Yep. Like they, they were looking for clues. Uh, so the sheriff from uh, Clermont or Clement, I, I think Clement. C L E M E N T. Clement. Okay. The uh, the man from Clement and the two. I think it was two deputies and a doctor. So there was like yep. four of them going through. They go. Th- they go. You know, house to house looking for stuff, and they all they find is a dog that has been poisoned. Which I wouldn't. I want you all to explain that one to me a little bit later. Uh, yeah. <laughs> and then I, they oh, go ahead. I, I was just saying, I have some words about that as well as what you're about to talk about with the uh, the Bible verse <laughs> and the two churches in this town. So, but yeah, I'll let you go first. Sorry. Okay. You have uh, scrawled on a wall or a mirror in um, lipstick, I believe, is said Revelation. 9.1 and that verse is and i am going to read from the big king james version since uh you know that's pretty popular in you know this area and on the and the fifth angel sounded i saw a star fall from heaven unto uh, unto the earth and to him was given the key of the bottomless pit so nice you know revelation is the book where you you talk about the end of days and you know the Armageddon and uh, the is it seven, how many seven headed serpent and or maybe yeah. I'm getting my mythology is uh, kind of messed up with the Leviathan and the human so seven crowns the yeah. smallest one was the one in the one that let them so and that's that's a nice little hint that uh, they're throwing in there mm-hmm. of like of the mindset and then. Shoot, some doubt. All right. So, what do you all think of the Bible verse there? I, I, I thought I, I actually really enjoyed it because um, I read this story like a couple of weeks ago, uh, and then I re- reread it earlier today. Um, and when I was taking my notes today, I was like, "Yeah, that is actually a really good um, uh, revelation." <laughs> Both like revelation in the sense that like it's the Bible quote, but also like a revelation of what's to come after you read the story, you're like, Oh yeah, that is actually a really nice hint. That doesn't, it doesn't reveal anything initially until you get to the next, to the, uh, to the eighties and like, and on. And then you like, kind of, it's like, Oh, I should have seen that coming. Like yeah. I should've, that was actually a nice hint that somebody left behind. Do, do you think it's like, is it more than that? Is it, is it insidious in its way? So, you know, I saw star f- fall from heaven onto the earth, and to him was given the key to a bottomless pit. That makes, I mean, that doesn't sound like a reward. It does sound like somebody like 
like maybe somebody like um like maybe it's the perspective of the people going down like they've uh they're they're going down seeking shelter but there's like dissent in their they're in some of the in like in their midst of like they're by doing this they are basically like forsaking the rest of the world to nuclear war because that verse in itself almost prophesizes like what their fears like projects their fears and and like ultimate fate um to a t <laughs> uh because like again like i saw a star fall from heaven like that could be interpreted as like the new the, the missiles dropping down from sky yeah. um and again like the the angel sounding like is like the the uh maybe the the apocalyptic um uh air raid sireny kind of thing going on yeah. and then them condemning like given the key to the bottomless pit like well they the, the pit is like or the bottomless pit yeah it's Literally, it is the tunnel that goes down to their their potential salvation. But like in doing so, they are forsaking the rest of the world, like and not telling anybody this stuff. Like they're does, just. Does yeah. it mention how the cave in occurred, or what? Like, do you think that maybe the cave in that actually trapped? Was yeah, that's sorry. Like, yeah, <laughs> not to not to like uh, steal your thunder. But yeah. No, it's all good. Um, yeah, because like, they they say like, I've I've got some words about the tunnel situation in the first place but um yeah it says that like uh the geologists and like people that looked into that like basically figured it like in the hustle to get through those tight quarters um like that's what caused the cave-in but yeah it makes you wonder if like they they did that intentionally to protect themselves further so yeah and, like we, we don't know any of like the story is kind of done in this like factual way so like we don't get the perspectives of the of the folks of Edmondson. So yeah. we like, there's nothing left behind like to like give us clues as to like their, their perspective on the matter. We just kind of, it's like out of context, outside opinion uh, view yeah. of the whole situation. So. Yeah. I have a, I have a, you know, everybody knows the crockpot story here. I don't know if the internet knows it, but you know, you can find it. So I have a, a, a interesting perspective on, uh, the Bible and its interpretation. Adam, are you uh, of a denomination? I've never asked this. I, no, that's no problem. Yeah, I was uh, re- not the best practicing person, but I was raised uh, Church of Christ. Okay, so I think this is interesting if there is both a Methodist and a Baptist. From my experience, Baptist, as a Southern Baptist, which is like, you know, the most extreme version on the scale you can go, that 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 Bible verse can have infinite meanings because at a certain point the book of revelations is almost a choose your own adventure in that denomination yeah. because you read it and it applies presently pastly futurely metaphorically and symbolically so i think for the author's perspective that was a great little hint as well i think mm-hmm. for an ideation for the players or for a possible gm who wants basis for a story it's also fantastic because it does create this well if you want to go with a supernatural perspective we have if the falling star is a heavenly thing we now have aliens now have otherness showing up and being given control of these people yeah or you know we have the threat and then they choose to use that as the the threat is what get unlocks the necessary personal drive to go into the cave. The key yeah. is not an actual literal thing. 
Um, so yeah, I, I think it's very interesting from at least from my experience because it's it, the, the Bible verse in this can play as anything. And then yeah. like depending on your denomination, as the reader, you get a very more interesting take on the situation. Yeah. I, I did think it was interesting. Um, also, it kind of left me a little confused while I was reading it the second time around that this, tor- this town has two churches and both agreed to go into the Methodist church and go down into these tunnels. Like the threat was either so profound for this town um, to do that. Like I, I almost wonder, I, I, I had actually been like uh, mulling, like I wonder if it would have been more creepy if it had, if, like if it uh, had like when the police agents were going through the, 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 um, the, the houses looking for like evidence of anybody um, they had found uh, like uh, forced entry into some of these homes um, to show like that maybe like, but, but then they, when they, when you put it together, it was the people that were going to the other church that were forced or that were like basically taken against their will down to the pit or uh. down to the, into the tunnel. Um, or like maybe like, I'm not sure if it would be creepier or not creepier or not. Like, I think actually now that you proposed that, like where it's like, they, they all just kind of went down like together, like regardless of their creed or is it creed? Is that actually the correct term for that? Or Uh, as a result of their denomination Uh, or regardless of their denomination, they all, they all agreed to go down into the tunnels. Whereas I wonder if it might've been creepier for to have like the town, like have that schism and like, basically have a purge <laughs> yeah. before well, they went down. But yeah, I don't know. Like, I think it is creepy. It, it is a really creepy that they all just vanished or all just walked down there. I, I um, do. I do think having two denominations is actually very logical and actually works out for the better to make this feel real because okay. a single town, a single church town, even in the South, like is not possible. Okay. I, I wasn't sure the logistics of that. So yeah. And like Methodists, are almost center of the road from my experience of the denominations. And generally, Methodists can get along with pretty much anybody, and Baptists can get along with pretty much anybody. The kind of rub is Baptists believe in the baptism way more and put more emphasis on that. Yeah. So, like, them having a, 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 a healthy relationship with each other and having healthy religious debates on the nature of the Bible, of Christianity, and then having this situation happen, it is completely understandable that at one point somebody might have gone like, this is bigger than both of us, let's combine forces to get the hell out of here. Yeah, it almost makes you wonder, because also, like, also makes you wonder, like, if this was, like, something uh, that was, catal- the catalyst for this might have been mundane, in that they the townsfolk saw, like a ke- like, some kind of, like, chemtrail or something like that over the their over their skies or there was some kind of like like it kind of reports in the fbi thing there was an atmospheric anomaly that caused them to go down under the ground it makes you wonder if like they did see something that night and they're like oh like they just all came together it's like we're fucked like this is the end um because like there's got to be some kind of catalyst to that uh, like that made them do this all or well I think that's again it rolls into the isolation. So, yeah, like everybody can get along together, uh, you know, creed wise. It's not unheard of, but like you know, Christians in general are supposed to live in this world and not of this world. So, I mean, you have this general, you know, 
base reference point. Now, I, I you know, as we were talking, I was listening to y'all talk about this. I started even thinking like Lord of the Flies because I think the real horror in this story is, you know, if you were thinking of this like a Lord of the Flies situation, everybody's on the plane together. Now you got these two different groups with two different belief sets that are trapped underground. Yeah. And stuff like that. I think that's when you're going to start seeing the conch shell and the pig and stuff like all the crazy <laughs> stuff like yeah. that. Like, the things that are scary are the things that are not shown, which really works with the narrative structure of this. I mean, I think we talked about this a moment before we started recording, but this, I love how this is written. This thing is written like you're watching a documentary. Like it'll, it bounces between not a very clear present to just like, you know, it just, it's almost like you get little side information. Like it had mentioned the sheriff and then it says, well, the sheriff died of lung cancer in 1969. And then, so you get this background information and then it goes back to his, uh, like the sheriff talking about uh, them talking about what the sheriff saw in town. And then it goes to like his declaration of this, the sheriff had fought in world war two and the Korean war, more violence, Mm-hmm. That's shown here, and then it's he's on his deathbed saying this is the scariest thing above like that he's seen, and he's been into you know great wars. I think the scary things are the things that we don't see. The scary things are the things that like happen in the cave, but the scary things are also the climate that apparently exists in this town that nobody really picked up on. I mean, I, there was a there had to be a plan. Like things were packed. There wasn't a single thing of luggage. Food was taken in, ranked on its perishability. So like canned goods and stuff like that made it into the cave. Milk and things like that with sour were left out. Like this was an organized plan. Well, even the, 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 oh, sorry. No, I'm done. Okay. I was just going to say, even the basement uh, underneath the church was unplanned. Like, or like, well, not unplanned, but like it was, it was a, like they, they carved that into the bedrock. And then they found an entry into, a, into the cave systems below. And they built a, a, do- a sealed off door <laughs> or hatch to get down into it. <laughs> like, oh my God, they're a modern day Noah. Yeah, yeah, it's like it's almost or like um, preppers, like it's like kind of like a, a mix between like the Noah's Ark kind of thing and like the prepper ideology of like going like going down to a bunker and like waiting out the apocalypse, yeah, or surviving the apocalypse that never happened. <laughs> yeah, but yeah, it's and also on the thing of their preparedness and stuff of like that, like so. There's a part in the story where the, they, it wasn't just the people, but it was also all the dogs, except for one, <laughs> which was found to be poisoned in the backyard of one of the properties. And like they'd given the dog, put some like white pill, like some poison pills, basically in in like hamburger meat, and fed the dog. And the dog, but like, why, like, why were like I, I feel it's almost kind of for me it was almost like like a morbid like situation that happened like did did a family miss the message that you could bring your dog down into the bunker and they like when they get down to the tunnels and they see other people with their pets they're like oh sorry bootsy uh <laughs> what do like, you think the pets were brought down there for though i mean yeah obviously oh oh and that, and that's okay that's the other side that makes it even creepier is like they didn't want to eat bootsy so they 
uh, they they thought that would be more dignified is to is to I uh, just like poison her above and leave her up there, than to meet the fate of what the other dogs and animals were going to have. Like, yeah, live like that's like in the apocalypse that like dog the, our pets are just going to become another source of food. <laughs> yeah, you know, when we get desperate enough. Sorry. Did you ever play Silent Hill the original? I have not finished uh, playing it, but I have it. <laughs> okay. You know, I'm digging back to the 90s and PlayStation, but I think this was a nice, I don't know if it's a, a like deliberate callback, but you have this animal like, okay, let me go back to the beginning. In Silent Hill, there's a scene and there's nothing built around it. It's just something that is there that I, it's, it was so disturbing that I remember it you know, 20 years later, but mm-hmm. you make it to a part of a town where there is like, I think a basketball goal and like it's concrete. It's like, you know, exterior kind of thing, but underneath the basketball goal in this, you know, PlayStation air graphics is a severed head of a dog. Oh, no yes. explanation, no anything. And it's creepy. But then again, this is a silent hill type setting you know it's it's isolated it's cut off everybody's gone it's just missing the fog yeah. so like that was cool and you know maybe this is an artistic kind of statement of these people's intentions or their heart or their outcome because i mean dogs are symbolically supposed to be man's best friend yeah and you're poisoning your best friend you're you're cutting yourself off from society and everyone as a whole and stuff like that. I think it's kind of, you know, not to make too big of a pun, but it's kind of reflecting the dog eat dog mentality that kind of led up to this. And it's uh, going to follow it. <laughs> yeah. Cause literally. yeah. Yeah. Well, not just doggy dog, like in the literal sense, but I mean, like doggy dog in that, like, yeah, these, like these people's future, like their fate um, in the present is very much that like they basically have, they've given up a good, uh, a good portion of their humanity. It seems in the process of like doing this act. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Here's, here's something goes with that. So one of the people, like there was only one person they found that had been to Edmonton prior. Like, yeah, like sorry, close. Edmondson. Edmondson. Damn it! I keep going to Canada. I'm trying to skip it ahead. Um, okay, so there was one person who previously was at the town that the FBI was able to track down, and it was a vacuum cleaner salesman. And the this was a not a normal day for the vacuum cleaner salesman because when he went through Edmondson, he, you know, go door to door trying to sell these like, like housewives vacuum cleaners and nobody in the town was interested in it. And yeah. this struck him as odd because like, I mean, this is his man's job. He does it every day, but usually in the course of a day when he canvasses an area, he can make a, he makes sales and he made none. And this was prior to the fact that everybody had just, you know, went underground and stuff like that. And if we are to believe that what led up to this mass exodus was a weird atmospheric condition that the townsfolk took as either the beginning of a nuclear war 
or a um, sign from God. Sign from God. Then I think this maybe even points more to the fact that these people were maybe planning this beforehand. We're not going to need that where we're going. Yes. But this was how the fear in this town had just kept ramping up more and more. Like, think about it. Like, I can't, I can't get out of my house packing. If you told me to grab everything I would need as the bomb is falling and we're waiting for, you know, nuclear hell to break loose on Earth, like, I'm not going to be able to grab everything. But these people had luggage packed. They had their food. Like, everything that would last was taken with them. I, 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 I think that point might be a little... Our modern era does not have that, but if you got to remember, these guys lived through the 50s, so, like, duck and cover and bomb shelters would have been inundated with them. They would have been very prepared. So, I think saying we couldn't leave at the at a drop of that is very true. I think giving them a little more leeway... It doesn't mean it's not crazy and, like, they were yeah. well prepared, but, yeah, yeah. They, they would be a little bit more on the no. Yeah. Yeah, because I mean, yeah, it's like, I, like you said, like they were basically like they they were definitely planning this probably prior to that single night. Like it probably didn't all just happen in that one night. Um, something had happened, or something had, had brought this on, or like maybe they were just completely utterly prepared for it. They they they're divorced from yeah. like I think it's another divorce thing. Like they're divorced from capitalism, and I mean if you think about after you know, World War II and so forth. I mean, America's economy and like we're out of the Great Depression, things are on the rise, everything's good, everybody's going to have a, you know, car, house, white picket fence and stuff like that. And these people like have already shed that part of their identity prior to like the steps that they took. Yeah. I may be reaching a tad bit on that, but. No, it's... I, I think that's an interest. I mean, we're, what we're discussing is the fact that you know there's all these possibilities with this thing, and that's that's one of the. I mean, that's why this makes this such a good, unique piece because it is divorced from the spooky jump scare or whatever. It's just this blank, uh, blank slate of like, hey, here's what happened. Here's some weird shit that's happening around it. Figure it out yourself. And like, the more we dig into this and we talk about what we see and what we feel, the more kind of shows why this is such an interesting piece because it does draw on all the different aspects that we take for granted in culture or that we think about that we never have a voice for and it does this great job of encapsulating it and this very simple piece another thing i want to talk about for the story is um so it near the end um like it starts when it starts talking about like uh the 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 missing people's around Edmondson and like in Mammoth Caves National Park. Um, they bring up this, um, these like they bring up the, the strange noises that people apparently hear in the woods and caves since the seventies, as well as sightings of a tall humanoid like creature called the black demon, uh, according to unrelated local lore. Um, I, I was kind of thrown off by that because like at this point in the story, was definitely leaning into okay. This is just going to be like again subhuman, like Martins, Martens uh, style uh, underground dwelling humanoids, um, or like again, like ge- a few generations of people that have lived underground and now are now eating people or worse. Um, but then with like the, the, the they just kind of 
mention this this tall humanoid creature? Is this an actual like cryptid in Kentucky, Adam? As far as you can tell, and people around here swear they've seen Bigfoot. Like, I, okay, even, so it's like yeah, yeah. So devil I, monkeys. I, yeah. Yeah, I can't think of anything in particular that that would be referring to. Yeah, and like the only thing that comes to mind in terms of like outside of like reality and more into like game fodder and like using the story for something like that, um, I could see it like being like a Slenderman connection <laughs> to a degree. Yeah, uh, just because like the Grobermensch, um, like the the tall man on the trees uh, in Germany, and like his connection like that, and like again he's got like again black suit pale face kind of just like one like lives in wood lives in forests known for disappearances um but if you wanted to take it like this like if you want to ever use this this is kind of deviating away from like creep pasta stuff but like if you wanted to use this for like a dg game or even a fall of delta green game like scenario like for inspiration you could maybe even incorporate like the martens um style cult to nyarlathotep yeah, because he's the black man in the woods. <laughs> yeah, nice connection. Yeah, um, I also think that it, it makes a sort of sense because as they were describing, it's like by the end of it, this is probably the second or third generation that's living yeah. in caves. Like, if you're the second or third generation, what what is America's folklore like? Who is the biggest, toughest dude oh. in American folklore? folklore? <laughs> Paul Bunyan, who's yeah. a literal giant. So what do you send out to a world that's been destroyed? To, the to biggest, combat? toughest guy you got. Yeah. So <laughs> oh, God. That's, <laughs> that's what the black, you know, that's what the giant is and the demon is probably. It's that's just, what it reads yeah. for me. It's just like the biggest, swollest dude in the cave. Yeah, the biggest. The, miserable because yeah. he doesn't quite fit. But like out here is his playground. Yeah, basically, you send out the big bad Morlock to go get the uh, the alloy <laughs> uh, to reference Time Machine because <laughs> yeah. again, it's it, it fits like it's uh, like horror genre is definitely like just swimming around this story <laughs> with different, it, like just like things come to mind from the story, like just reading the story. Yeah, well, Time Machine too. Like I'm kind of thinking back to the course. I'll be honest with you. I've never read the H.G. Wells. I think he's the one that wrote that. I've yeah. never read. I've never read that. But I watched the movie. It had Guy Pearce in it. So, <laughs> but um, that's the closest reference I got on that one. But you Fair. also, I'm thinking about how the two different peoples developed. So the people who went underground became predatorial, and the people that stayed above ground. There was like at least in the film, it depicted it probably much more than H.G. Wells's novel itself. But there was a. Uh, I think there was really only one race at, at that point, and there were, you know, everybody had, you know, kind of intermingled and stuff like that. I, I would think that it would be very disturbing for someone who's been underground, their culture's been underground since the 60s, to pop back up 60 years later and see how their world has been turned on its nose. Yeah, because... Yeah, uh, to just kind of give some context to like the Morlocks and the time machine uh, in the book and stuff of that, I believe um, the Morlocks are the humans that what that survive that tried to survive the wars and what or whatever like the the future was by going underground, and then they left the Eloi, which are the other humans, uh, which is like a melting pot of humanity, up on the surface to be their lambs. <laughs> um, so, and they the Morlocks were known to have a caste system. I, I believe actually the Eloi were part of that caste system. 
as basically being the food source for the Morlocks. Um, and they had like special breeds or special like types of Morlocks to do certain things. Yeah. Um, um, cause I read it and studied it. It's mm-hmm. a little bit different. Um, okay. So the yeah. Morlocks represent the working class cause they run the machinery down at the bottom. You're right. Especially, yeah. they have been specially bred to live underground, while the Eloy up top are the upper crust that don't have to do anything, and their lives are provided for by the Morlock. It's which, literally eating the rich. And which is why, <laughs> at the end, they come to the surface and they kill them, um, just as a representation. They've they've read into that as like you know, Marxist literature at that point because, look, the working class is uprising to destroy these lazy, elfin, beautiful people that don't actually do anything for anybody. And also, yeah. as like, at the beginning, it started as a symbolic relationship and then slowly became exploitative. Yeah. I also kind of think it would be interesting for us to talk about the two items that were found when, yes. like, you know, there has, this is, well, it, it has to be some symbolic reference. The, the reading glasses and the uh, the shoe without the heel. Yeah. Um. But I, well, what would, would, would you have? As, like, because I like I'm I'm thinking of it. It's like I mean, if if you're going into like symbolism for it, like they they left their like, the reading glasses. They like basically, like I guess like for like kind of like um, I'm trying to think of the word for it. <laughs> Uh, oh, wait, well, I've lost it. So, what, 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 what do you, what do you have for that? Like for interpretation? All right, let me preface it so it make it easier for you. Okay, so this story is so concise and compartmentalized that, like, I keep looking as I go through this for things to latch onto to try to to draw deeper meaning to it. And one of the things that stick out for me is that when they return. And I believe, I believe it was during the 90s, or, but when it is the uh, whereabouts of where the townsfolk live uh, went was later on discovered by people that were just exploring the uh, decrepit environment. They found in the basement of the Methodist Church or near the cave-in a pair of glasses and a, I think, one high heel shoe. So it was like a woman's glasses and a woman's um you know, shoot. Yeah. And yeah, I'm kind of reaching around trying to figure this out. Of course, like glasses, obviously, you know, you you have the uh, functional like sight and hey, we're not going to need that where we're going thing. But I also, you know, have always kind of associated glasses with, um, you know, or vision in general with like intelligence and sight or foresight. And I wonder if like the destruction or leaving those glasses behind is kind of a reference of how this was maybe a poorly planned thing or they're not thinking or they're going to be, I guess, in a way devolving intellectually as they go forth. There's no, for, there's no foresight or anything like that. Yeah. That that's similar to what I was thinking for the glasses. Like was, uh, it might not even be like a symbol, symbolic thing that they, the, the people did in the story intentionally. It might've been just something that the author put in as a symbol. Like a little yeah. bit of symbolism of like the the people forget or forsaking the uh, forsaking um, civilization or like humanity yeah. <laughs> and intelligence by and going deeper underground. You could also read it as because if you look into it, it says that these are, are made around the late fifties, early sixties. Um, 
it is kind of a shedding. You can read it as a shedding of humanity for religious reasons or symbolic reasons. Um, but you could also... When was the... Where's my notes? Second? Okay, 1962. Uh, it, it could also imply that the this was not the first time this has happened. I think I think a more interesting thing for that sentence would have been if it was from the mid-1950s to the late-1960s, because then it spreads it out just enough to give an indication that this might not have been a choice. This might have been an actual, like, stealing. Um, yeah. Because that, that's a, uh, that, that was what I saw when I read it. Clearly didn't read closely enough for that, but like the idea of like people coming and getting taken and dropping their classes or like breaking the heel of a shoe. If these were organized as the it seems we were talking about, like breaking your heel right at the entrance does not imply orderly entrance, especially if you're having to crawl like this guy had to do to get to the cave. Like this seems like everything was in a rush. And Rushing as soon as you stand up from a you know a belly crawl it sounds more like this woman was dragged. Yeah, uh, it could like oh so you like or forced into the situation. Yeah, like have this basically like either again like maybe this wasn't all just like okay we've all agreed to do this let's go down. This could have been either somebody who was dragged down there at the time or like over the last few decades since this happened. This is one of the entry points at the. Morlocks or the uh, the yeah. Edmondson folk um, have used before. There was a cave. Maybe the cave happened like later on, like yeah. before. After all, like after the uh, like years after the um, the Exodus down into the into the pit. Um, okay. Something actually an incongruity I found with the details of the story with the tunnel itself. Um, outside of like just racking up the tension of claustrophobia um, with like for the narrative. How did 236 people of varying sizes and carrying luggage make it through that narrow passage? <laughs> like, is am I am I think am I not like thinking of something there? Where like it just feels like that. I feel like that tunnel maybe should have been a little bit larger, um, or that there should have been some kind of um, something brought up in the story as to a hint that there was a shift. Um, that like like in the earth that ch- caused it to like be like the narrower passage because I mean there is the rock slide, but was it always that like claustrophobic and like small of a passage for to uh, to have people like have to be crawling on their st- like on their stomachs basically to get into there? I don't know. It just feels I, I, weird that like 236 people vanished overnight by go- uh, with their luggage and and like and uh, and non perishables. Into a tunnel that small, <laughs> and, that, and that and that's what Adam said. Like, yeah, if we want, if we went for, if this didn't have the biblical tie, yes, like where there should be drag marks, there should be scrapes, there should be something left. But with the biblical tie, it's now just like these people are gone, and that makes that that gives credence to both the idea that this is a biblical thing, a supernatural element, because religion and supernatural are tied together. Yeah. This makes a lot of these incongruous points point to, okay, maybe they were right, or maybe something led them, or something. 
Yeah, maybe maybe somebody parted the the tunnel wider so that they could walk through and then closed it up again. <laughs> the, the symbolism can be found in Matthew seven. Uh, verses 13 and 14 enter by the narrow gate for wide is the gate and broad is the way that leads to destruction and there are many who go in by it because narrow is the gate and difficult is the way which leads to life and there are few who find it damn now imagine if uh stevens had found that carved on the ceiling or something of the tunnel as he was going down there, <laughs> like seen Michael, like Michael, like 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 the the police saw um, Revelations nine one. What if somebody had seen that Michael's entry like carved somewhere on the yeah. in the tunnel? Like that would have been like a nice addition to the story for that. It may be too on the nose, too. It would have been nice if, if they went that route, if they had actually included something like where you could see where people had squeezed into a narrow passageway and it like there's like bits of clothes that had been torn off and it's yeah. like scrapes of blood and stuff like that. I mean, that's kind of horrific. Just imagine just cramming people through that and stuff like that. Yeah, because I mean, there was an investigation in the '80s after the after the two campers uh, reported it. Like they they did go. People did uh, other uh, presumably other people did go down into that hatch, um, or at least like survey it to make sure to, to see like what they what could be done uh, yeah. on the investigation side. So like we could have had a little bit more information to kind of add on to that, um, just to kind of give a little bit more on what's going on, but. We didn't. <laughs> yeah. But I, hmm, we're about to the end of the story here. I'm trying to think if there's anything else. Um, checking my notes. Um, from a from a grammar thing, I mean, I, we usually do do a grammar position on the show, but um, uh, there really wasn't a whole lot near the on the front end of the story. It was mostly the back end. It kind of felt like maybe the writer was uh, getting a little sloppy. Um, like I have a handful of basically just like minor typos and issues that were in, uh, were in the story that I found like, just like words that weren't used, um, that where they should have been, or like they were missing a word. Um, weird capitalization, which was just typos like mammoth gate, but it's capitalized, you know, proper noun, but then it would put system. Yeah. Um, there's also a couple of redundancies like, um, uh, I'll just mention this one. Uh, the FBI sent an investigative team to investigate the disappearance of Ed- Edmund Edmondson. It's like, it just felt like that was, a, I don't like, maybe you didn't need to have an investigative team to investigate. <laughs> like we, we know if they're, they're just a team to investigate. Yeah. Um, and then uh, Edmondson soon became a little known historical footnote in Kentucky's history. <laughs> just again, ni- a very nitpicky. Like there is a little bit of redundancy in some of the wording. Um, but, Outside of that, and outside of a few like anomalous typos, um, the story is present like written and presented pretty well. So, oh yeah, like this, it's it's as professional as a uh, creepy pasta can be, in my opinion. Yeah, I've def- we've as my two hundred and seventy something uh, episodes have shown, <laughs> uh, there is definitely um. This is definitely not the worst uh, perpetrator of grammar inquisition. <laughs> I, I would even be willing to wager that 
I don't know, the way things feel, I almost want to think that the author may be from the region or have a familiarity with the region. Yeah. Like, and, you know, that's for Or awesome. at least has gone there or to yeah. uh, gone to Mammoth Caves. And I was like, this is really cool. Yeah. <laughs> I should write a creepy story about it. <laughs> I wonder if anyone's done that before. <laughs> Uh, it's not, it's like I mean it, it again kind of boils down to like I, I, if if that is the case well it it follows that thing where like write what you know like write where you write where you've been because like that's the yeah. best way like to like help build and like or like build a strong familiarity to something. And abandoned places in Kentucky is fairly common. Like I know that like in our personal conversations we've had just kicking around RPG scenarios. Uh, yeah, in brief little text messages, I'm like I know of a town that's actually underwater in Kentucky called yeah. Harvard, and it was an old logging community that um, when and like I think it's even around the sixties or something like that, they dammed off an area and just let it flood, and then it just became a large lake in the uh, Daniel Boone National Forest kind of area. And there is if you. If you want a little extra creepy fodder, uh, uh, pasta fodder here for you, like I have uh, really got into this recently because I purchased a drone because I'm a 39 year old <laughs> child that wants to play with a toy flying in the air. But like I was looking through just drone footage in Kentucky and I have found like old amusement parks that were open and, oh my God. <laughs> and you know, it were shut down and then nature starts reclaiming them and stuff like that. And, like it's great, like creepy fodder kind of thing like that, which actually I just had an epiphany. This was nature reclaiming humanity. Yeah. Like basically man our idea, idea of romanticism. Yeah. Mm. Like the people went down into the ground, into the earth, into mother Nate, into mother earth and um, shed their humanity and became beasts again to a degree. And the woman doesn't need, like, maybe, th- this is what I thought, too. And I know that we just went grammar, and, and I was just like, nope, yeah, sorry. this road. No, it's not. <laughs> <That's yeah. laughs> but it occurs to me that, you know, when we were talking about the glasses and the uh, shoe that were a woman's, like, and then they're taking people from the surface for genetic breeding stock and stuff like that. It almost, yeah. like, you're returning to this ugh caveman club the girl and drag her back to your cave kind of shit which it turns pretty damn literal in this particular story which i mean you you see that in other uh depictions of degenerate societies like the hills have eyes for example yeah and hills of eyes i think even the descent um Mm -hmm. to a degree uh what's i guess even the not the chainsaw massacre um but like, they yeah, were, like the, they were again, food. Yeah, they were just food in that one. Um, I'm trying to think. Of, I don't think wrong turn. I don't think uh, they they had the hillbilly or the, the not the 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 mutated hill folk and stuff of like that. But it was I think it was again more just food source. No, <laughs> just, you're on you're on the right path though with okay. wrong turn, which is set in West Virginia. Oh, perfect. But uh, <laughs> no, no, it's cool. I just remember sitting in the, the movie theater when that came out, watching Wrong Turn. And there was this African American guy sitting next to me. I didn't know him, but he, like, in the middle of like, these crazy hillbilly stuff, he goes, "That's why my black ass never goes to West Virginia." <laughs> but, um, uh, like, in Wrong Turn, I think they actually find the mother of the family, and she has been like chained to a bed and just turned into a broodmare. Yeah, 
And like that happens actually even in video game uh like fiction, um Dragon Age. Um oh, the, God, the, yeah, the Dark Spawn the Dark Spawn. Um their whole system is basically like more uh, not Morlocks, uh, although kind of. Uh, again, like the whole like underground dwellers, they they feast on human on like human flat or like like flesh of, of um uh, of, surface dwellers of surface dwellers and their 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 females are just giant breeding factories like so there is a yeah. movie that came out a couple of years ago that has this same exact thing that i just saw on uh, red letter media i don't know if you guys follow that um it's called bone tomahawk it, it it is actually kind of very similar to this idea it's made in like 2012 or 14 yeah. it's a western but it, it, it deals with these are actually like cannibalistic savages that are taking people and us going to it. And a lot of the, I would highly recommend watching that review of theirs because it top, top, it shows a lot of care that was put into that to show like the degradation of the world to get there. And, you know, and, and they don't show a lot of clips of it. it it's kind of it's crazy. They're, um, they're a little bit tasteful <laughs> in their graphic. Uh, oh no! It, it no? <laughs> the 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 review. Oh, okay. Go. Does okay, not gotcha. show it because they would be demonetized very quickly. It's yeah. very graphic and stuff. But yeah, brood, gotcha. brood, brood uh, females as brood mares does not does play a point that's a part towards the end. It's yeah, very. It, it it would be another one that would be good if you were interested in making the narratives that we're talking about here. It's a very good way of showing how this can be done in like the Western era versus this one, which is the contemporary era. Mm-hmm. And if you want to watch Kurt Russell be his Kurt Russell, is that's a good damn movie for it. Yeah, oh, really? it is. Kurt Russell's the main character. Oh my God. Okay. Yeah. I've definitely seen this movie then. <laughs> Who stepped into my breakfast? But <laughs> I think at some point it would be really interesting. I like, so here's your homework assignment. Crazy. Yeah. Like, I would like to see, how many different types of horror we find like that have people going underground and stuff I like that. Can probably just do a quick search of just like underground dweller subgenre horror and probably so, find an insurmountable amount of them. Yeah. That's the only place we have left to go. They're like we've expanded as far as we can. The only unknowns are in the ocean and in Which the- there's also a very large supply of genre movies and fiction in there too with uh yeah. like cold uh was it cold skin being a mm-hmm. fairly newer uh like adaptation of that kind of like i get deep ones yeah. <laughs> and like i don't know if you've seen those like fake uh uh fake videos on youtube um of like real life mermaids captured on on like subnautical um cameras <laughs> There was like a whole actual Discovery Channel thing that was produced yeah. years ago where it actually showed like what if, and then it was just like man returns to the sea, and then like it was, and it was like a, a tribe or something like that that slowly like devolved. I wouldn't say devolved, but evolved to this. Adapted. Yeah, adapted <laughs> yeah. to this. But yeah, such your wild tangent research assignment there. I just wonder. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I guess, did, uh, do we have any like do do I guess we kind of talked a little bit on it, reached a little bit on it, but like do we have kind of because like uh while like my our show Al Dente is creepypasta kind of story writing focused, but you guys um like you got RPX 
and Travis, you're uh, like constantly making game scenarios and game designing. And I'm, I myself also do a lot of game designing, like for scenarios for horror stuff. Do we have any? I like. I feel like you could just take this this whole story. Just don't even have to really like do much prep work and just use this story to run like a fall of Delta green game or like just a game where you're playing the cops from Clement going right. into town and like just maybe taking a little bit further and just them finding the hatch. <laughs> well, you have isolation and that's yeah. a key to horror, but you also have like you're away from technology and that's what I really like here. So if I were going to play with a similar scenario and you know, coming from where I come from and my interest in Appalachia and the, the plight of people here, I think it would be an interesting thing to kind of take something like this, maybe move it a little more Eastern. And then like, you know, one of the big controversies that has developed in the past, you know, 50 years here has been like strip mining, which is basically just you're raping the land and taking everything from it. And then, you know, it's it's worthless. And uh, ironically enough, man, the only thing that you can do with that land is put a prison on it. That's what we're finding here in eastern Kentucky. Like there's been like old sites that they're proposing to turn it in, like to turn it into prisons, which that's not even talking about the radioactive element that's actually involved in coal. Like being exposed to this stuff, like causes cancer and and you know runoff and things like that so here's my two one scenario that can be twisted two different ways for you here both of them involve i would like to either use miners or use um people doing like a geographic a geological survey or maybe even prison guards because i think it would be really nice to have people like set up a scenario where you're like been your surveyors and you know GIS people and so forth going to an old strip mined area to repurpose it for something and then there's a passage or you're stuck there and a member of your party disappears in the night and gets drug you see them being drug underground and then you know the entire premise of it is going after them and stuff like that and you go down there and, and start encountering the uh members of Edmonton, Edmondson, excuse me. And that would be really cool. Like, you know, you're going to find the, your investigators would be very limited in what they have. Cell phones are not a thing, definitely underground. And yeah, yeah, you're going to be going through finding the old relics of the sixties, maybe temples that have been made underground. You could even, as you scale this thing to the big crescendo of the scenario, you start, you know, seeing how things have devolved, like you start seeing them shed other parts of their humanity to the point that you may even like encounter like I kind of like and I kind of hate body horror and I kind of include things that disturb (laughs) me and stuff like that. I would like to see like you start encountering things that these humans don't need body parts that they don't need and stuff like that. People that have like shattered their legs so that they can sit in the cave and swiggle around in there. Yeah. Oh God! Ah, oh, ah! Oh. <laughs> Things like that. Like that would be Sorry. creepy. Yeah, like, I just, I just, I just pictured like, uh, like all I could think of is this like really beefy armed, like 
human or like like monster like monster human dude without his legs like just stubs and just like coming at you oh god it's like almost like the amante from uh the uh the delta green game lover in the lover ice name. yeah like just oh oh no <laughs> thank you travis <laughs> If you want to reskin this, and I'll throw, oh, I had this, I had this last bit in here before I turn the table over to Travis. I would like to even say that if you want to take a different kind of approach, use the prison that I talked about. Yeah. So it could be anything from a prison break, a la Alcatraz, like they took a spoon and dug for twenty years, or actually, would that be Cas- not Casco Montiato? Um, That's uh, Victor Hugo. Sorry. Help me. I think that was Shawshank Redemption. Was it? Uh, I was actually thinking more of uh, the fuck, dude. It was like Edmund. Oh, Dantes. the greatest, the, the great escape. No, sorry. No, I, I was. It, no, this is more Napoleonic. I just, I can't. Okay. Think of it. I, I, Count of Monte Cristo. Count of Monte Cristo, kind of deal like that, where somebody has done this, or like maybe these things have broke into the prison and stuff like that, and. Yeah. Or your people is on a jailbreak and you've dug your hole. So anyway, I would like to either involve prison guards or prisoners or a mix therein that somehow find themselves not only encountering these people, but the only way out is to go in, if that makes sense. So I've got a, a nasty little twist to this, to your, to your idea there. Okay. Um, so yeah, again, strip mined a land. They put a prison on it. Um you're in a pri- your prisoners or even the guards, like the prison, the like low ranking prison guards um, that like monitor everybody. Your prison has a l- fairly high prisoner mortality rate. Oh um, God, I see and, where you're going. And the the big revelation is that the friggin' head uh, wardens are in on it. Like they've come to an agreement with the guys under guys down below, and are basically allowing them to pick off. Um, the undesirables in the prison. There's a comic book by Ben Temple Smith, and it was also, by the way, Google this YouTube because this is a nice little fan film. But it's the comic book and the YouTube film is called Welcome to Hawksford, and it's what if? Well, the the hero, the antiheroes, is like horrific serial killer and stuff yeah. like that. But he's been sent to this prison, and the prison's actually ran by werewolves, and. It, once ever so often, they open the cells and it becomes a great hunt. Oh my god! Yes, that's basically yeah, very similar kind of situation. I, I like your idea better than mine. Awesome, <laughs> Travis. Well, what do you have there? <laughs> so I have, as per usual, my enjoyment of designing games with multiple systems. I will say first and foremost, if you want to deal with the prison plot, uh, I would highly suggest the suffering. Um, one and two, yeah. one specifically, as a way to get a feel of what it's like to be in a prison that's become uh, overrun by supernatural <laughs> entities. Yeah. Um, definitely at least watch a playthrough of the first one, the second one, maybe. Um, also, I talked about this on Twitter. Uh, what you're describing is very similar to the French television show uh, Zone Blanche uh, on Netflix, also called The Black Spot. And this is what I would suggest as mine is. Zone Blanche is essentially you play, uh, the entire series is focused around the police department of this small town that has like six times the murder rate of the rest of the country, and it's a dead zone, which is why it's called Black Spot. Um, literally, Zone Blanche means white zone, which is the French version of a dead zone. 
Um, and you're playing as individuals in this town that used to have a strip mine and a logging company that has kind of fallen through, and it's dealing with these events that seem supernatural that have possibly mundane solutions, but supernatural keeps its head in. And if I was to run a game, I would 100% watch this series and use this as an inspiration and try and do it through different systems. I think different systems can highlight different emotions and mechanics can highlight different ideas that you're trying to get across. So if for one instance you're trying to... One episode, I think they get lost in a cave, quite literally, and uh, they get exposed to hallucinogenics in the cave and things go sideways. Um, That's very easily done in fear itself or Mm -hmm. some type of thing like that. Uh, At another time, they're trying to figure out who killed a person in the woods. They swear to God they see a horned individual in the woods. That one's a very simple just Delta, uh, very simple uh, Delta Green non-initiative characters trying to deal with this possible supernatural result. I'd even suggest maybe a Dirty World for that one. Dirty World work as well. And then like there's some that deal with the internal issues of the town vaguely supernatural attachments. That's just called Cthulhu. And then it gets super sideways at the end of the season where an eco-terrorist starts showing up. You, you can fold that into actually being a shove cult or something. And this series itself does a great job of playing with what we've talked about here. And my suggestion would be, if we do set this in eastern Kentucky, is to also watch uh, Justified. It might not be a good representation of Kentucky, but it is based in uh, Harlow County. It does give a good viewpoint of world there and the social dynamics and you can use that as another means of building up a scenario where you deal with the townspeople the weird events that might be coming from these underground uh, entities and then as they slowly merge what happens with the society as a whole when underground above ground meet and at certain points maybe both of them have a a not the correct answer but a solution for the outer troubles coming to the county location that you're sending. Nice. I like it. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. What about yourself? What, what, what kind of ideas oh. do you have? <laughs> um, well, again, like I, I brought up earlier, but I guess I can re- reiterate. Honestly, like again, reading the story, I was, I was just kind of like, I could just take this story and just put you in, in fall of Delta green. Um, and just maybe take it a step further. Like maybe you're the in the seventies, like the or like because the case lasted to like sixty seven, right? Um, like the FBI case. Yeah. Um, and then like even then, like there were like instances after that between like that and like the present day. So like you could have this as like basically just use this as your notes, highlight like like inform details and information in the story, and just have this be. Um, uh, like as written, like a scenario fodder. Um, yeah, that that was one of the ones I was uh, avoiding saying because it's it, I hate saying very simple, but like yeah, you you have three scenarios right here and a fourth. It, of, yeah, like I mean, it's here's your here's your fucking yeah, at, deal or um go up uh to um to borrow off of uh, I feel like mine's like the just like just just uh, is like the laziest <laughs> options. <laughs> 
<laughs> it's really just what it feels like. <laughs> like after, you know, oh, like build a strip mine and like, oh, pull this idea. Like, and then uh, like, oh, pull it from this idea from this movie or this show. And then mine's just like, just, just take the story. Just use that. <laughs> but um, to uh, take from another uh, good scenario uh, from the RPPR podcast, uh, preemptive revenge. And do a story where you start in little fears. <laughs> oh, you're speaking my language. And you lose your parents. <laughs> um, and then the next scenario, you're 10, 20 years down the road. And you, what, have, what have you become as a result of your, ex, your little fears encounter? <laughs> little um, fears does not get enough love. It, it really does. It's dumb. Yeah, especially with like all the new. Yeah, I like just as a quick tangent. I see like a bunch of like new kind of like similar little fears scenario, like or setting or systems coming in, like kids on bikes and, uh, like again, tales from the loop and tales from uh, things from the flood and so. And all I can think of is like, little fears did it first, guys. (laughs) Like (laughs) little fears is still pretty cool, guys. (laughs) But and it like feel my pain because little fears is my favorite go-to system, and I have. Yeah. probably years worth of games I could run. Yeah. Um uh, but yeah, I I think that it would be interesting to like either do um uh like a period a couple of period pieces where you're the authority figures investigating the town's disappearance, like the town's like whole problem like right at the get-go and then like maybe the next scenario is like 10 years later you're you could you can't get you 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 just can't get over what you investigated in the first scenario. And so you've you've become obsessed with it, like uh, Rustin Cole from True Detective season one, and you're the guy look out in the woods looking for the cave systems and looking for the for the uh, the the black demon in the woods or like the the disappearing people, like because the te- county apparently has the highest. It's like got the Kentucky Triangle like status <laughs> of being a, like a place where people just go missing and like never they're never seen again, kind of thing. Um, or go the route of like, you know, yeah, again, preemptive revenge, where you start the scenario as in a little fears game where you're a bunch of kids camping with your family and your parents get taken and like, you have to survive the woods and like, maybe the things try to come after you too. Um, and then the ne- a-, a sequel scenario to that would be in Delta green or fear itself. Um, probably fear itself. I'd go with. Yeah. Um, just because it doesn't have, you're not, you may not necessarily be um, uh, an, an authority figure or even like a, a very like well-equipped figure. You'd be like again, like Dennis Miller is in the story. He's just a pawn shop owner who has uh, who's to, who set up a, a historical society for this little town or for this like no na- for this ghost town uh, in his pursuit and obsession to uh, to uh, uh, to fix his his parents' reputation and and like prove their love to him and stuff like that. Um, yeah, I think that would be like an interesting take for this for a, a game scenario. Is just basically use the use the material already provided, highlight the details that you want to use, and then just run this and see where like the players go <laughs> with it. Yeah, and depending on the situation, folded mechanics like little fears. Your parents did get killed by bears, but your fear has turned the latent background radiation of people thinking there's people in the ground underground actually real and it's yeah. to the point that your craziness has infected the area and now you're having to deal with literally a childhood oh nightmare 
you, you can't deal with because you've lost belief, but you have to find another way of dealing. Parents are killed by the bear. Then you mutate the bear with your belief, with your fears into the black demon. <laughs> yeah, stuff like that. Like, yeah. The idea of little fears, if, if you draw inspiration from the original system, which is Source absolutely yeah. br- Well, the original system is oh, absolutely yeah. brutal, and you won't win sometimes, or it'll be a yeah. pyretic victory, and bring it to the new one, and use that as, like, sometimes you won't win, maybe you'll survive, but what happens afterward when literally this, you know, chaotic, etheric material of belief gets sap, you know, it still is out there, it's still affecting the world, you lost connection to it. Yeah. And it actually, again, plays on the ice, the idea of isolation because, like, what's scarier in, in terms of an isolated, like, an, of, like the fear of isolation than when you're a child stuck in the middle of the woods? Yep. Like, yeah, it's that. Oh, <laughs> that so, would definitely work. So, my last thing I want to add on this, and I just it, it occurred to me as you all were speaking, there was a move in the early 2000s to actually install servers and, like, you know. Caves are cold, like, but they oh, they, maintain a, they maintain a temperature. Yeah. So I know recent, like nearby, where like you know within thirty minutes of where I live, they were actually looking about taking a couple of caves and you know drilling into them and making like big server farms in there because like underground everything is like sixty degrees pretty much year round and stuff like that. So if you have things that generate a lot of heat and things like that, that you know, there was a big move to actually take, like, there's a Kentucky, it was called Mushroom Mines, M-I-N-E-S, if you want to Google that sometimes, but uh, you could actually and have a whole scenario be set up with, like, be based around setting that up, or your people who are, you know, monitoring and working the mines, and uh, something goes wrong, and then you go there, and then like the mines hope there's a passage that's opened up and it leads to the uh, underground folk. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. And that's, and that, that starts to bring in the, you know, the, from the media perspective of like media theory and narratory telling stuff like by having technology in this mind. Now you're bringing in the fold of like technology encroaching on nature. And like these things represent a human regression to nature and yeah. the outside world, which is so almost cyborg level of reliant on technology, is encroaching. And now you have the battle between, you know, the, the technology and. God, I forget what the yeah. word is. It's in uh, red markets. That's just all. No, no technology. Yeah. You, you're basically, you know, if. I mean, you know, goddammit. You know how like global warming and stuff like that's a huge concern for us now. Growing like living in the world that we live in right now, like it's not yeah. like out of the question to make the environment like even though it sustains you, it's also threatening you. Kind of it thing. rebels against us because we're ruining it. <laughs> yeah, we this is man in motion where he should not, and uh, <laughs> you know, well, yeah. Of, and- Actually, with your the the store cold storage um, for the servers or the cold server rooms, basically like using the underground, it also kind of plays on that with like human arrogance of to think that like we know what's down there, and then like you guys, oh yeah, we surveyed this once like a couple of times. It's a perfect location for the for the servers. You get down there like with the with the the initial team to set it up, and then you find out that oh, what's that 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 tunnel wasn't there before. Ah! <laughs> 
Cannibal men. <laughs> Cannibal dwellers. <laughs> it's just like, uh, I guess it kind of, you could also like take this like, uh, like kind of how the necrophage ghoul, like ghoul uh, system is for like Delta in Delta green again. Um, like the, the necrophage is what they term, how they term ghouls in Delta green. And they were a people that lived underground and adapted to the underground uh, living and, and eating the dead. Uh, and they they fled deeper underground after the advent of of uh, like European settlement into North America. So again, just have like a, another instance where like you're building up that that uh, that that cold server uh, facility uh, in these un these unused uh, mines, and then you accidentally breach through to um uh, to the uh, Edmondson uh, clan. Um, as uh, after somebody hears some singing just beyond a wall, like beyond a cave wall, and they decide to like, what the f what the hell's that music? And then they like crack it open, like they open up like a thin layer or a thin like um uh per like uh like a thin wall, and just go right into basically the Edmondsons like carnal layer. <laughs> yeah, what was the uh, Travis? You'll know this. What was the name of the? Uh... Native American people that H.P. Lovecraft turned into monsters when he made them go underground. Um, oh, no. Which one? What? All right, so Delta, I know there was a Delta Green scenario, and this is probably a pretty big aside, but there was a Delta Green scenario that was uh, in the uh, Handler's Guide and stuff like that. Where, oh, you know, uh, the Kenyani? Kenyani, like, I mean. Oh, God, the Kenyani. <laughs> Yeah, um, that, yeah, the, that was the, the one I was actually about to say. Yeah, the the ones the, the giant the the pale giants with the that the uh, the native uh, tribes forced underground after uh, warring with them, and they went down to their into their into the into the blue recess, uh, like the basically the blue hollow earth of Kinyan. That's all based off like I think the serpent mounds. Um, or it's just called the mound. I think is what Lovecraft wrote. Uh, it was, like he ghost wrote for uh, another author. Yeah, it's, yeah. It's, it's it's clearly inspired by the Native American burial mounds yeah. here in the you know in the because Lovecraft was great about appropriating things and yeah. uh, not understanding things enough. Scared of. <laughs> and the mounds yeah. are actually in Ohio and Missouri, and so forth in that area. So it's close enough to Kentucky that you could actually even make a connection between the two. Yeah. yeah. So, like, I guess. Oh, yeah. So maybe that. Yeah, uh, you could have it that the Kenyani were uh, again to tie it into the Edmondson thing. You could have it that the Kenyani were. Uh, uh, there was one of them that came up and was like an, the the angel that sounded the 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 the, 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 the song. Yeah. And just... like, like, yeah, we need. To, yeah, come down into. Yes, come into the. Come down into the, to our home. Uh, like, otherwise, you'll to escape nuclear. Uh, this this silly nuclear missile crisis. Um, we we're, we're in need of some tests. I mean, you, you'll be saved. <laughs> so it's, mean, it's a walrus and oysters kind of setup. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I mean, you could also very simply just to to pull a Lovecraftian. Um, entity that does not get enough love like it talks about a star falling to earth it's just a kathuga yeah it's just a fire uh, it, it's, uh, yeah it's a fire kathuga, vampire or star vampire fire vampire yes and then, you know, okay. it, it freezes in the uh, in the delta green source material and then yeah. you know having them lead these individuals underground for whatever mm, awesome because again actually that would and like they could easily uh 
uh, again, like make it that again. Yeah. Like you said, like it came down from the sky and it wasn't a, it, it would probably be perceived um, as an angel. Cause angels are generally fireballs. With wings. <laughs> yeah. Fireballs with wings and like eyes everywhere. <laughs> Or depending on your interpretation of, or de- depending on the different Enochian texts and such. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So there's, I guess what we're, we got, we've come to is that like, there is, this story is rife with fodder. <laughs> like, and like it, like you can go, you can be close on the nose or like borrow from other inspirations and use it for the store, for the same kind of pre- like premise and background of the story for it. Yeah. It's 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 what good fiction should do. It should tell its own story while allowing for you to get inspiration to make your own. Yeah. In some form or the other. Alright. Um I think that's probably unless anybody else has anything else to to add for Edmondson. Nope. Uh I, I think, think that so. is going to call, we're gonna call that one then. Yep. Um, Thanks again for having me. I've like I've enjoyed uh, being able to return and you know discuss the story and uh, look forward to seeing what horrors you guys are going to unleash on your own local geographical areas. Yep. Uh, yeah, we'll have to figure out when we can do those. But yes, and sure. on my end, you know, I always love coming back and internet me to spoop you. I'm a mercenary. Come <laughs> call me up. I'll try and fit you into my schedule. Excellent. Um, open, please call me. <laughs> uh, yeah. So, um, uh, also with that, I guess um, uh, uh, Adam um, Travis, do you want to promote anything before I do the sign off? I uh, kind of take care of a little podcast called the Role Point Exchange. You can find us at www.rollpointexchange.com. We have a Twitter page, and by we, I mean I'm. I, my co-host did have control of it, but I hacked, I control his email address. So I hacked his <laughs> password and now it's mine, but you know, that's neither here nor there, but you can get us at, uh, at R P E X G H A N G E. And, uh, we're also on Facebook at facebook.com slash the row point exchange. And basically we do a, we do two actual plays a month and we will also do a talky episode, as I like to call them, with it's either like an interview with a game designer, or we discuss you know certain topics in the role playing field. And uh, yeah, so if you uh, enjoy these smooth southern dulcet tones, please go over and check us out. Uh, on my end, you can find me at Twitter at un- uh, at juju underscore munter u n s t e r. Um, that's where I'll be most of the time. You can technically send me an email. Crazon will be my guardian. Um, but yes. uh, contact me on Twitter if you're very interested. In I routinely post updates on life and do media dissections. So, like, last weekend I delved into Stalker and the idea of zones of isolation changed and affected her and science fiction mediums. I think this weekend I went to sleep because I haven't actually slept a lot. But um, I also do some work with Delta Green and Arc Dream. If I ever have a conference I can go to or con, I run games for them, including the Storage Wars campaign, um, which is about, the, which uses the four states of language acquisitions to explore the themes of 
information dissection and distribution inside of our culture. And I also have a game related to uh, trying to bring back, as I mentioned earlier, some of the Lovecraftian elements and entities that have fallen to the wayside due to misuse, odd appropriations, and the like. Adam is actually on the first half of the three-part campaign, which Crazon has played the first one, is not, and I have not run Duh. <laughs> Y'all, anybody that was to role-playing exchange will probably eventually get to hear the man coming. Oh, definitely. <laughs> uh, Yuri. Poor, poor Yuri. <laughs> but yeah, awesome. Okay, uh, and uh, as always, you can contact me at ReviewCultist on Twitter. Um, you can also send us emails at aldenterigamortis at gmail.com. That's A-L-D-E-N-T-E-R-I-G-A-M-O-R-T-I-S at gmail.com. Where you can also leave us suggestions for creepypastas. And uh, as Travis said, you can, uh, if you have uh, questions for him, you can send them through me, and I will forward them to him. I have a um, website as well. I forgot oh. I actually had this. Okay. Um, my personal portfolio website has a contact. I don't know if it works. But yeah, you can go to my portfolio website, which is tgasq.me, and go to the contact page. It has a, just a generic form. I don't mind the web page. I need to update it now that I have the excuse to update. The excuse to do it? <laughs> the excuse to do it. Yeah. Um, yeah, I'll, I'll leave all this information in the comment, or not in the comment, in the, in the description of this uh, episode. Um, I'm going to have to basically re-listen to this this episode and just like write down all the things that we comment on, <laughs> like all the things that we brought up for that. Um, it, we and Al Dente Rigamortis, as always, uh, we have a Patreon. Um, if you'd like to support us, uh, it's two dollars and five to two dollars to five dollars tiers. Um, select the backer tier you'd like to support us at. We have extra content, early access, um, special content, and Thank you for being a patron. Um, the ones that are a patron to us, your patronage keeps us going. And for our listeners and to the authors of this story, uh, or of these stories and this story in particular, thank you immensely because honestly, without you guys, we would really wouldn't have much of a show. <laughs> so thank you. Uh, until next time, I have been your host, Review Cultist. And oh, and I have and will continue to be Adam. I am Travis today. I might change tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs> and this has been Al Dente Rigamortis. Sleep well. Night night.